0: Question 83, Part 1 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde, Treities on the Cardinal of Virtues, The Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde, Treities on the Cardinal of Virtues, the Virtue of Justice by St Thomas Aquinas translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province Question 83 of Prayer in 17 articles Part 1 articles 1 through 6 We must now consider prayer under which head there are 17 points of inquiry First whether prayer is an act of the appetitive or of the cognitive power. Second, whether it is fitting to pray to God. Third, whether prayer is an act of religion. Fourth, whether we ought to pray to God alone. Fifth, whether we ought to ask for something definite when we pray. Sixth, whether we ought to ask for temporal things when we pray. Seventh, whether we ought to pray for others. Eighth, whether we ought to pray for our enemies. Ninth, of the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Tenth, whether prayer is proper to the rational creature. Eleventh, whether the saints in heaven pray for us. Twelfth, whether prayer should be vocal. Thirteenth, whether attention is requisite in prayer. Fourteenth, whether prayer should last a long time. Fifteenth, whether prayer is meritorious. Sixteenth, whether sinners impetrate anything from God by praying. Seventeenth, of the different kinds of prayer. First Article WHETHER PRAYER IS AN ACT OF THE APPETITIVE POWER OBJECTION 1 It would seem that prayer is an act of the appetitive power. It belongs to prayer to be heard. Now, it is the desire that is heard by God, according to Psalm 9, verse 38. The Lord hath heard the desire of the poor. Therefore, prayer is desire. But desire is an act of the appetitive power, and therefore prayer is also. Objection to further. Dionysius says in On the Divine Names 3, It is useful to begin everything with prayer, because thereby we surrender ourselves to God and unite ourselves to him. Now union with God is effected by love, which belongs to the appetitive power therefore prayer belongs to the appetitive power objection three further the philosopher states in on the soul three six that there are two operations of the intellective part of these the first is the understanding of indivisibles by which operation we apprehend what a thing is while the second is synthesis and analysis whereby we apprehend that a thing is or is not. To these a third may be added, namely, reasoning, whereby we proceed from the known to the unknown. Now prayer is not reducible to any of these operations. Therefore it is an operation not of the intellective but of the appetitive power. On the contrary, Isidore says in his etymologies 10 that to pray is to speak. Now speech belongs to the intellect. Therefore, prayer is an act not of the appetitive but of the intellective power. I answer that according to Cassiodorus in his commentary on Psalm 36 prayer oratio is spoken reason, oris ratio. Now the speculative and practical reason differ in this, that the speculative merely apprehends its object, whereas the practical reason not only apprehends but causes. Now one thing is the cause of another in two ways. First, perfectly, when it necessitates its effect and this happens when the effect is wholly subject to the power of the cause. Secondly, imperfectly, by merely disposing to the effect, for the reason that the effect is not wholly subject to the power of the cause. Accordingly, in this way, the reason is cause of certain things in two ways. First, by imposing necessity, and in this way it belongs to reason, to command not only the lower powers and members of the body, but also human subjects, which indeed is done by commanding. Secondly, by leading up to the effect, and in a way, disposing to it, and in this sense the reason asks for something to be done by things not subject to it, whether they be its equals or its superiors. Now both of these, namely, to command and to ask or beseech, imply a certain ordering, seeing that man proposes something to be affected by something else, wherefore they pertain to the reason to which it belongs to set in order. For this reason, the philosopher says in Ethics one thirteen that the reason exhorts us to do what is best. Now in the present instance, we are speaking of prayer, as signifying a beseeching or petition, in which sense Augustine says that prayer is a petition, and Damascene states in On the True Faith 324 that to prayer is to ask becoming things of God. Accordingly, it is evident that prayer, as we speak of it now, is an act of the reason. Reply to Objection 1. The Lord is said to hear the desire of the poor, either because desire is the cause of their petition, since a petition is like the interpreter of a desire, or in order to show how speedily they are heard, since no sooner do the poor desire something than God hears them before they put up a prayer, according to the saying of Isaiah 65.24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will hear. Reply to objection to. As stated above in the pars prima question 82 article 4 as well as in the pars prima secunde question 9 article 1 third reply, the will moves the reason to its end. Wherefore nothing hinders the act of reason under the motion of the will from tending to an end such as charity which is union with God. Now prayer is tends to God through being moved by the will of charity, as it were, and this in two ways. First, on the part of the object of our petition, because when we pray we ought principally to ask to be united to God, according to Psalm 26 verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Secondly, on the part of the petitioner, who ought to approach the person whom he petitions, either locally, as when he petitions a man, or mentally, as when he petitions God. Hence Dionysius says in On the Divine Names 3 that When we call upon God in our prayers, we unveil our mind in his presence. And in the same sense, Damascene says in On the True Faith 3.24 that Prayer is the raising up of the mind to God. Reply to Objection 3. These three acts belong to the speculative reason, but to the practical reason it belongs in addition to cause something by way of command or of petition, as stated above. Second Article. Whether it is becoming to pray. Objection 1. It would seem that it is unbecoming to pray. Prayer seems to be necessary in order that we may make our needs known to the person to whom we pray. But according to Matthew 6.32, Your Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Therefore, it is not becoming to pray to God. Objection 2. Further, by prayer... We bend the mind of the person to whom we pray, so that he may do what is asked of him. But God's mind is unchangeable and inflexible, according to 1 Kings 15.29. But the triumpher in Israel will not spare and will not be moved to repentance. Therefore, it is not fitting that we should pray to God. Objection 3 further. It is more liberal to give to one that asks not than to one who asks because, according to Seneca, nothing is bought more dearly than what is bought with prayers. But God is supremely liberal. Therefore, it would seem unbecoming to pray to God. On the contrary, it is written in Luke 18.1, We ought always to pray and not to faint. I answer that, among the ancients there was a threefold error concerning prayer. Some held that human affairs are not ruled by divine providence. Whence it would follow that it is useless to pray and to worship God at all. Of these it is written, in Malachi 3.14, You have said he laboreth in vain that serveth God. Another opinion held that all things, even in human affairs, happen of necessity, whether by reason of the unchangeableness of divine providence, or through the compelling influence of the stars, or on account of the connection of causes. And this opinion also excluded the utility of prayer. There was a third opinion of those who held that human affairs are indeed ruled by divine providence and that they do not happen of necessity. Yet they deemed the disposition of divine providence to be changeable and that it is changed by prayers and other things pertaining to the worship of God. All these opinions were disproved in the first part. Question 19, articles 7 and 8. Question 22, articles 2 and 4. Question 115 article 6 and question 116 Wherefore, it behooves us so to account for the utility of prayer as neither to impose necessity on human affairs subject to divine providence nor to imply changeableness on the part of the divine disposition. In order to throw light on this question, we must consider that divine providence is disposes not only what effects shall take place, but also from what causes and in what order these effects shall proceed. Now among other causes, human acts are the causes of certain effects. Wherefore, it must be that men do certain actions, not that they thereby may change the divine disposition, but that by those actions they may achieve certain effects according to the order of the divine disposition. And the same is to be said of natural causes. And so it is with regard to prayer. For we pray not that we may change the divine disposition, but that we may impetrate that which God has disposed to be fulfilled by our prayers. In other words, that by asking men may deserve to receive what Almighty God from eternity has disposed to give, as Gregory says in his Dialogues eight. Reply to Objection 1. We need to pray to God, not in order to make known to Him our needs or desires, but that we ourselves may be reminded of the necessity of having recourse to God's help in these matters. Reply to Objection 2. As stated above, our motive in praying is Not that we may change the divine dispositions, but that, by our prayers, we may obtain what God has appointed. Reply to Objection 3 God bestows many things on us out of his liberality, even without our asking for them. But that he wishes to bestow certain things on us at our asking is for the sake of our good, namely, that we may acquire confidence in having recourse to God, and that we may recognize in him the author of our goods. Hence, Chrysostom says, Think what happiness is granted thee, what honor bestowed on thee, when thou conversest with God in prayer, when thou talkest with Christ, when thou askest what thou wilt, whatever thou desirest. Third article. Whether prayer is an act of religion. Objection 1. It would seem that prayer is not an act of religion. Since religion is a part of justice, it resides in the will as in its subject. But prayer belongs to the intellective part as stated above in Article 1. Therefore, prayer seems to be an act, not of religion, but of the gift of understanding whereby the mind ascends to God. Objection to further. The act of Latria falls under a necessity of precept. But prayer does not seem to come under a necessity of precept, but to come from the mere will, since it is nothing else than a petition for what we will. Therefore, prayer seemingly is not an act of religion. Objection 3. Further, it seems to belong to religion that one offers worship and ceremonial rites to the Godhead, according to Cicero in his rhetoric. But prayer seems not to offer anything to God, but to ask to obtain something from him. Therefore, prayer is not an act of religion. On the contrary, It is written in Psalm 140, verse 2, Let my prayer be directed as incense in thy sight. And a gloss on the passage says that, It was to signify this, that under the old law, incense was said to be offered for a sweet smell to the Lord. Now this belongs to religion. Therefore, prayer is an act of religion. I answer that, as stated above in question 81, articles 2 and 4. It belongs properly to religion to show honor to God. Wherefore, all those things through which reverence is shown to God belong to religion. Now man shows reverence to God by means of prayer, in so far as he subjects himself to him, and by praying, confesses that he needs him as the author of his goods. Hence it is evident that prayer is properly an act of religion. Reply to Objection 1 The will moves the other powers of the soul to its end as stated above in Question 82, Article 1, First Reply and therefore religion, which is in the will, directs the acts of the other powers to the reverence of God. Now among the other powers of the soul, the intellective is the highest and the nearest to the will. And consequently, after devotion which belongs to the will, prayer which belongs to the intellective part is the chief of the acts of religion, since by it religion directs man's intellect to God. Reply to Objection 2 It is a matter of precept, not only that we should ask for what we desire, but also that we should desire a right. But to desire comes under a precept of charity, whereas to ask comes under a precept of religion, which precept is expressed in Matthew 7.7 7, where it is said, Ask and ye shall receive. Reply to Objection 3. By praying, Man surrenders his mind to God, since he subjects it to him with reverence, and so to speak presents it to him, as appears from the words of Dionysius quoted above in Article One, Objection Two. Wherefore, just as the human mind excels exterior things, whether bodily members or those external things that are employed for God's service, so too prayer surpasses other acts of religion fourth article whether we ought to pray to god alone objection 1 it would seem that we ought to pray to god alone prayer is an act of religion as stated above in article 3 but god alone is to be worshipped by religion therefore we should pray to God alone. Objection to further, it is useless to pray to one who is ignorant of the prayer, but it belongs to God alone to know one's prayer, both because frequently prayer is uttered by an interior act which God alone knows, rather than by words, According to the saying of the apostle in First Corinthians 14:15, "I will pray with the Spirit." I will pray also with the understanding. And again, because, as Augustine says in Death, Burial, and the Hereafter, 13, The dead, even the saints, know not what the living, even their own children, are doing. Therefore, we ought to pray to God alone. Objection 3 further. If we pray to any of the saints... This is only because they are united to God. Now some yet living in this world, or even some who are in purgatory, are closely united to God by grace, and yet we do not pray to them. Therefore, neither should we pray to the saints who are in paradise. On the contrary, it is written in Job 5.1 Call if there be any that will answer thee, and turn to some of the saints. I answer that. Prayer is offered to a person in two ways. First, as to be fulfilled by him. Secondly, as to be obtained through him. In the first way, we offer prayer to God alone. Since all our prayers ought to be directed to the acquisition of grace and glory, which God alone gives. According to Psalm 83, verse 12, The Lord will give grace and glory. But in the second way we pray to the saints, whether angels or men, not that God may through them know our petitions, but that our prayers may be effective through their prayers and merits. Hence it is written in Apocalypse 8.4 that, The smoke of the incense, namely, the prayers of the saints ascended up before God. This is also clear from the very style employed by the church in praying, since we beseech the Blessed Trinity to have mercy on us while we ask any of the saints to pray for us. Reply to Objection 1. To him alone do we offer religious worship when praying, from whom we seek to obtain what we pray for, because by so doing we confess that he is the author of our goods, but not to those whom we call upon as our advocates in God's presence. Reply to Objection 2. The dead, if we consider their natural condition, do not know what takes place in this world, especially the interior movements of the heart nevertheless according to gregory in his commentary on job twelve twenty one whatever it is fitting the blessed should know about what happens to us even as regards the interior movements of the heart is made known to them in the word and it is most becoming to their exalted position that they should know the petitions we make to them by word or thought and consequently The petitions which we raise to them are known to them through divine manifestation. Reply to Objection 3. Those who are in this world or in purgatory do not yet enjoy the vision of the word so as to be able to know what we think or say. Wherefore, we do not seek their assistance by praying to them, but ask it of the living by speaking to them. Fifth Article Whether we ought to ask for something definite when we pray Objection 1 It would seem that we ought not to ask for anything definite when we pray to God. According to Damascene in On the True Faith 3.24 To pray is to ask becoming things of God. Wherefore, it is useless to pray for what is Inexpedient, according to James 4.3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Now according to Romans 8.26, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Therefore, we ought not to ask for anything definite when we pray. Objection to further, those who ask another person for something definite strive to incline His will to do what they wish themselves. But we ought not to endeavor to make God will what we will. On the contrary, we ought to strive to will what He wills, according to a gloss on Psalm 32.1. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye just. Therefore, we ought not to ask God for anything definite when we pray. Objection 3 further. Evil things are not to be sought from God. And as to good things, God himself invites us to take them. Now, it is useless to ask a person to give you what he invites you to take. Therefore, we ought not to ask God for anything definite in our prayers. On the contrary, our Lord, in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, taught his disciples to ask definitely for those things which are contained in the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. I answer that. According to Valerius Maximus, Socrates deemed that we should ask the immortal gods for nothing else but that they should grant us good things, because they at any rate know what is good for each one, whereas when we pray, we frequently ask for what it had been better for us not to obtain. This opinion is true to a certain extent as to those things which may have an evil result, and which man may use ill or well, such as riches, by which, as stated by the same authority, may have come to an evil end, honors which have ruined many, power of which we frequently witness the unhappy results, Splendid marriages which sometimes bring about the total wreck of a family. Nevertheless, there are certain goods which man cannot ill-use because they cannot have an evil result. Such are those which are the object of beatitude and whereby we merit it. And these the saints seek absolutely when we pray, as in Psalm 79 verse 4, Show us thy face and we shall be saved." And again in Psalm 118 verse 35, Lead me into the path of thy commandments. Reply to Objection 1. Although man cannot by himself know what he ought to pray for, the Spirit, as stated in the same passage, helpeth our infirmity, since by inspiring us with holy desires, he makes us ask for what is right. Hence our Lord said in John 4.24 that true adorers must adore in spirit and in truth. Reply to objection to, when in our prayers we ask for things concerning our salvation, we conform our will to gods of whom it is written in First Timothy 2.4 that "He will have all men to be saved. Reply to Objection 3 God so invites us to take good things that we may approach to them not by the steps of the body but by pious desires and devout prayers. Sixth Article Whether Man Ought to Ask God for Temporal Things when He Prays Objection 1 it would seem that man ought not to ask God for temporal things when he prays. We seek what we ask for in prayer, but we should not seek for temporal things, for it is written in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be added unto you. That is to say, temporal things which he says, we are not to seek, but they will be added to what we seek. Therefore, temporal things are not to be asked of God in prayer. Objection to further. No one asks, save for that which he is solicitous about. Now we ought not to have solicitude for temporal things, according to the saying of Matthew 6.25. Be not solicitous for your life, what you shall eat. Therefore, we ought not to ask for temporal things when we pray. Objection 3 further. By prayer, our mind should be raised up to God. But by asking for temporal things, it descends to things beneath it, against the saying of the Apostle in Second Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Therefore, man ought not to ask God for temporal things when he prays. Objection 4 Further, man ought not to ask of God other than good and useful things. But sometimes temporal things, when we have them, are harmful not only in a spiritual sense, but also in a material sense. Therefore, we should not ask God for them in our prayers. On the contrary, it is written in Proverbs 30 verse 8, Give me only the necessaries of life. I answer that, as Augustine says in his letter to Proba, it is lawful to pray for what it is lawful to desire. Now it is lawful to desire temporal things, not indeed principally, by placing our end therein, but as helps whereby we are assisted in tending towards beatitude, In so far, to wit, as they are the means of supporting the life of the body and are of service to us as instruments in performing acts of virtue as also the philosopher states in Ethics 1.8. Augustine, too, says the same to Proba, when he states that it is not unbecoming for anyone to desire enough for a livelihood, and no more. For this sufficiency is desired not for its own sake, but for the welfare of the body, or that we should desire to be clothed in a way befitting one's station, so as not to be put out of keeping with those among whom we have to live. Accordingly, we ought to pray that we may keep these things if we have them, and if we have them not, that we may gain possession of them. Reply to Objection 1 We should seek temporal things not in the first, but in the second place. Hence Augustine says, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, 2.16 When he says that this, that is the kingdom of God, is to be sought first, he implies that the other, that is temporal goods, is to be sought afterwards, not in time but in importance, this as being our good, the other as our need. Reply to Objection 2 Not all solicitude about temporal things is forbidden, but that which is superfluous and inordinate, as stated above in Question 55, Article 6. Reply to Objection 3. When our mind is intent on temporal things, in order that it may rest in them, it remains immersed therein. But when it is intent on them in relation to the acquisition of beatitude, it is not lowered by them but raises them to a higher level. Reply to Objection 4 From the very fact that we ask for temporal things not as the principal object of our petition, but as subordinate to something else, we ask God for them in the sense that they may be granted to us so far as they are expedient for salvation. End of Question 83, Part 1 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.